0: Ladies, gentlemen, pimps in between, welcome one and all to this latest installment of the Extra Canon Podcast. This is, I believe, episode 44. Apologies, it's been a while, but you've gotten a a double dose of me on your last two shows, which is a lovely time for all involved. Um, I'm going to keep this intro short. I'm joined by two of the regular guests, and I will introduce them in the regular order. The first of those is our normal Arsenal Cannon podcast host, Daniel Finton, back after a decently long hiatus. Daniel, how's it going?
1: It is going, it is flowing, and, and we're thriving out here. Mac Johnson, thank you so much for asking. Uh, it's great to be on the Extra Cannon podcast again. I haven't been on here since the early '80s, man. It feels great. Uh, can't wait to see some some Mac hosting and um, the early '80s yeah.
2: when you're in your '40s.
1: Exactly. So, exactly. You know, I'm really looking forward to today. Um, yeah, it's gonna be fun, bro. We got a really exciting bit that our producer, the other guy on here, came up with. So let's get it.
0: No doubt, and speaking of, that other guy, as Daniel would call him, the formerly lovely London local lad, current, bumptious, Brighton boy, two nicknames he absolutely hates, Um, and essentially the host for this show, Alfie Cairns Colshaw, in the cut. How's it going, boss?
2: What are you saying, lads? Yeah, yeah, I'm decent, I'm decent. Uh, As I always say when I come on the Extra Cannon podcast, it's nice for the, you know, sort of big-time main hosts to come on and support the little sideshow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd just like to say one of those sort of, you know, little side show hosts stepped up to the plate last week and he did a phenomenal job. Well done, Mac. Um, And shout out Harvey on his debut. I thought he was really good. Harvey Um, was great. He was great. And yeah, uh, Rob obviously scouted him, uh, sourced the talent. um, And I was going to say something about Rob finding someone who's more posh than him, which is mental. But uh, yeah, well done, Rob.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it was, was kind of weird to hear someone else on the podcast that like, like sounded like they eat with six different types of cutlery during dinner. You know, what <laughs> Boys, <I'm saying? laughs>
0: both go to Exeter. I'm not sure what you're expecting. <laughs> exactly, that is Toryville.
1: Welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Class, though. Good Harvey Lord. did great. Man of the match performance from that. You know, from ah. that um, welcome to the team, bro. Love you, Harley. Uh, Har- I almost called him Harley, like a like a motorcycle. <laughs> um, well,
0: that's his name now. Anytime he's on the show, it's Harley.
1: Harley Davidson.
0: Harvey Barnes. Uh, Speaking of nice. Harvey, but Bar- now, now, almost <laughs> to Newcastle. Fun time there. Anyway, Alf, uh, take it away, my friend. What, <laughs> what are we doing in today's show? Sorry, I did
2: say I was going to sort of host, and I just sort of left some dead air there. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought because. Sort of nothing's happening, um, and everything has happened, uh, in the sort of last few weeks in, with regards to transfers, incomings. And we discussed, you know, Havertz, Timber, and Rice pretty extensively in the last, uh, show, which me, Danny, and Rob were on. Um, me and Rob obviously got into a bit of a scrap surrounding the role of Kai Havertz. Um, I think he's coming around to it now, though. Um, him as our left eight. Um, Well, we've you know, uh, Mack and Harvey obviously did an excellent job breaking down Timber and Rice and then they sort of went through the rest of the squad, did a bit of outgoing stuff and discussed some players on the periphery of the squad. Um, And now we're just sort of waiting for the announcements and also waiting for pre-season to start. I thought there isn't really much new to discuss. We'd sort of be repeating ourselves um, with regards to the Arsenal prism. Um, So I thought, We'd start something, and it's an ECP, so we've got a bit more creative freedom um, than the main show, uh, if that means anything. Really, um, I thought we'd take a look at our rivals, uh, the top seven, I guess you could say. Now, I know Brighton um, and Villa finished in that, so in you know uh, sixth and seventh, but we're gonna get in. We're gonna talk about you know our sort of who we expect to be our direct rivals next season, and go through their scores, look at the state of their projects, um, and sort of look at them, do some power rankings. Uh, we may disagree um, and yeah, just sort of look at them because I think it's an interesting thing to look at at this point. Um, and maybe, you know, if people like it and we enjoy doing it, it'll become sort of a semi-regular thing on the ACP, um, sort of opponent's power rankings. So we'll start from the bottom and the team who I think is the least uh, threatening to Arsenal's position Um well, I guess we might disagree with it. I think it's Spurs. Um, so I think we should start with Spurs. But do you guys disagree?
0: For emotional reasons, I'm happy to start with Spurs. I personally would put Chelsea below them. Um, I think their squad is more of a mess. I think their recruitment profile, both of their recruitment profiles, really don't fit their current team and outlook. But I think Spurs have usable players. I think Chelsea are in the, are in the mud. So... I would put Chelsea below them but they're my two least favorite teams and I'm happy to shit on both.
1: Uh I think I would probably agree with with Spurs because I can't help but th- I understand what you're saying Mac but the thing with Chelsea is you know with how sus their transfer window's been already and just how much money they're bringing in and then you know they're going to spend a lot of money too. I think you know I think it's one of those things where it's like eventually if you just keep signing young, exciting players, someone's going to work out, you know? So, uh, but uh, yeah, I think Spurs are in, a, in an absolute state at the moment. And yeah, I, th- I think both are not in good shape. So I'm really looking forward to talking shit.
0: About then let's are. discuss the history of the Tottenham. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that
2: they're both, I think there's quite a big gap between those two and the rest of the teams that we'll speak about. I think they're both completely miles, agreed miles off us at the moment. I think they're both absolute messes. I just think Spurs are just slightly more of a mess and maybe that is slight bias but then I would say I sort of hate both teams so yeah um I guess the place to start with Spurs I've created a spreadsheet for everyone to sort of give them some nice visual thing just to you know remind them of who's in the squad um
0: everyone being the three of us you guys don't get to see this
2: yeah I mean I could publish it I, maybe if you want to see it but I don't <laughs> you know really do. needed to um yeah Obviously, new manager, Anja Um I'm going to ask Mac for some insight into him because I'm sure he uh, knows everything about him. Um, obviously, he's yeah, successful at Celtic. Um, listen, everything I've heard about him, he's very good. Um, unfortunately, we don't have Alan Riley to tell us a bit more, the Australian football expert. Having said that, looking at their squad, I think a lot of it is terrible. I think... Me and me and uh, Mac were talking about this in the um in the pre-pod call, the PPC. It is a squad that has been built with short-term success in mind, which was weird, um, because what was the you know, absolute pinnacle they could achieve, maybe third if everything had gone right under Conte. And I also think it's a squad that has been very, very clearly, and when we get into personnel, we'll sort of discuss this. I think it's very been clearly been built to play a back three. Um, and, you know, the centre backs they have are comfortable in a back three, but you can't imagine them in a back four. And the, the, the full backs are largely wing backs. So I think in terms of transitioning from a back three into a 4-3-3, three, three, which is supposedly Postacoglu's sort of fa- favoured system, I think they're going to struggle initially because I don't think they have the personnel at the moment. But yeah, Mac, tell me a bit more about Postacoglu and, and you know, is he, is he, is the hype around him justifiable? And, you know, do, do you think maybe, what do you think his ceiling is as a Spurs manager, given, you know,
0: where Spurs are and what do you expect from them next season on him? I think that I, here's the best thing to say about Ange Postacoglu If there's one word to describe him, it is principled. Um, He's really well known for sticking to his principles, his ways of playing, his style of football. Um, And it is a style of football that has gotten results, that has won trophies uh, wherever he's gone. He, I want to say it might have been Brisbane Roar was the team that he managed in the A League. Alan Riley will probably correct me on that one, but he... Took them from the bottom of the table, completely reset their leadership structure within the club, um, took out one of their longtime best players and took them to an A-League title. Went on to take Australian, uh, the Australian national team, the Socceroos, stupid name, to their only ever international trophy in the Asia Cup, which was a big one for them. Um, In the process, he entirely gutted their squad of all of their experienced veterans, brought around the team that did really well at the 2014 World Cup. We all remember Tim Cahill there. Um, And then kind of from there, went to Celtic, became a serial winner. And his profile, you're right, is a 4-3-3. He tends to like pacey direct wingers. He sets them up, usually in very wide positions, to isolate fullbacks. Um, He likes his central midfielders mainly to be box to box, although he usually have the central midfielder on the off side of the ball. Essentially, if the ball's on one wing, that central midfielder will become a second striker and make late runs. Uh, he can invert his fullbacks. He doesn't tend to love an overlapping fullback, although he did use one at right back during his time at Celtic. Um, I think his plan for the squad is probably to have a lot of those wingbacks kind of flex into hybrid eight positions, not only because it's been a trend in recent football, but it allows them to have a little bit less of a defensive onus while kind of still using their skills in possession. So for me, the ceiling for Postecoglou at Spurs is a return to the top four. I think he's a decent manager. He's a scrappy manager. He's a manager who tends to inspire loyalty from his players and really kind of will create a unified squad. Um, he's also very good at doing a whole lot with not much budget, which will suit Daniel Levy very well because he is tight-fisted as they come when it comes to owners. Uh, sorry, Spurs fans. No marquee signings, most likely, but just in general, I think that he is not the manager to kind of take them to whatever heights they want. I.e., like winning a Premier League. St- you know, that's way too far out of their reach at don't the moment. Think it's I think possible that Tottenham know, can win. A trophy. My point exactly. At le- as, you know, the least half decade minimum to rebuild something anywhere near that. But I think if they in the next few seasons are looking to target something like a Europa League win. Um, to get themselves back in contention for something like that. Postacolga was the perfect manager to do so. Um, I really kind of, I appreciate his profile. I'm pretty high on him, which is annoying because he's gone to a team I don't like. But in general, um, he plays high press, high octane football, really beautiful in possession. And good for the Spurs squad is that he tends to prefer more direct passing lanes. Um, his teams tend to be very fluid in their buildup, but play with a lot of verticality which suits the squad he has at his disposal.
2: Yeah, and the, the the way I see it with this, you know, Spurs squad is he could have a really good season next season and finish 7th or 8th and that won't be looked at as particularly successful. I mean, maybe they'll have some patience with him, but you know, he could get sacked for example if they finish 7th the or 8th and it could be like good progress and a good season for the squad that they have. I want to go, before we look at some of the rest of the squad, I want to go and touch on the sort of elephant in the room uh, at Spurs, which is obviously Kane. Um, Purported interest from Bayern Munich. I think it's pretty concrete. Um, They are chasing him.
0: Reported that Kane wants the move as well.
2: Exactly. Um, Personally, I think they should sell him. Um, Firstly, if they don't sell him, he leaves for free next season, which would be... Pretty, you know the chance. What are they going to achieve next season? At best, at best, they get back into the top six and get into the Europa League. I don't think there's any chance of the top four. Is it worth, you know, keeping Kane for a season and allowing your best ever, you know, academy product to leave on a free transfer after years of not winning anything with him? Um, is it worth that? Is it is it worth keeping him and losing out on potentially eighty million pounds? Um, for at best a sixth place finish. That's how I see it. I think sell him mm-hmm. now, rebuild for the future, bring in some, uh, you know, more talented players across the squad and, you know, tr- build and play into the vision of this new manager, Paul Um, That's how I see it. But uh, Danny, what do you think about the, the sort of Kane scenario? And also, I guess you touch on Son, who had a very, you know, he showed signs of decline next season. So, it's, you know, they're two sort of big superstars, so you know, in contentious positions.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll probably touch more on Kane because I, for, you know, for reasons that I think are pretty obvious, we haven't really seen many links with Son. So I think he'll just probably end up saying it Spurs, but I,
2: he is now a year younger.
1: <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so I, I just think with Kane, I've been talking about this on Twitter a lot and this really pains me to say, I just think he's one of the most talented number nines in the world. And I don't see why Spurs would want to burn this bridge with one of their best players in history, just essentially, uh, essentially just keeping him in a prison when he clearly wants one, he wants to go to a total different league. So it's not going to impact you in any way. You're just going to get money. You're going to get all those wages off your bill. And then you have a new young manager who maybe could bring in his own idea of an all new center forward and Spurs and that new coach can grow together. I just almost wonder if this is a natural time for Kane and Spurs to go their separate ways. And yeah, I, I I mean, again, I don't see why they would want to destroy the relationship between them and the player, because we saw it even, you know, just recently, Kane wanted that move to city and Spurs made it extremely difficult for him. And uh, you you could look at other cases as well, like Wilfred Zaha at, at Crystal Palace. He wanted the big move. They made it too difficult for him, so he didn't really reach the heights, win the titles that he probably should have won. And I think Kane is a player, talent wise, that deserves some trophies in his and his title case. And I you know I don't like the guy because he plays for Spurs, but again, very good player. Generally, a, a pretty likable character as well, and. Yeah, I, I just think I, I, it hasn't quite been 80 million pounds. I was reading that it was like 80 million euros or something, which translates to like, I think, 69 million pounds or something. But I think
2: they could probably extract something like that sure. if they keep sort of bargaining with Bayern.
1: I mean, and, you know, we we got a lot of, we, you know, uh, flack because uh, Declan Rice had, I think it was a year and an option left on, on his contract, and we got him for 100 million pounds. And, you know, Spurs have the potential to get you know, 70, 80 million pounds for a guy with one year left on his contract. I think that's just an astute business decision to let him go, bring in that money. He's had a great time with you. I think it's been the best possible time it could have been at Tottenham for Kane. I mean, over these past few years, I think he's really been their one kind of shining light. I think you could look at Son as well, to be fair. But um, Kane in particular has just been world-class amongst basically a sea of shit. And, uh, you know, I, I hope for his sake, for his career... He gets to move to Bayern Munich because I think he would just be such a good Lewandowski replacement. And obviously Bayern uh, didn't do so last season. And because of that, I think that's why they just narrowly won the Bundesliga. I think if they maybe had a guy like Harry Kane in there, they maybe would have done so more emphatically. Probably had a better run in the Champions League too. So I say they let this, let this move happen. Get in a new, young, dynamic striker. You're going to have the money to do so then. I know strikers are really expensive, but... Yeah, then just move on, man. I mean, and obviously I'm saying this a little bit out of self-interest because Harry Kane loves scoring a you know penalty against Arsenal. But I just think it's time. But to be honest with you, Alf, I don't think they're going to let him go. I think they're going to fucking keep him at the club, which is just absolutely insane to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's either going to be some sort of Daniel Levy Masterclass in terms of negotiating a higher fee, or it's going to be the complete opposite and just a stupid, stupid decision. Because as I was saying earlier, let's say they keep him, and yeah, they get back into the top six. What for? What do you? What? What is the point? That's almost a wasted year. You've you've lost eighty million pounds. You could have reinvested in the squad. You could have rebuilt. And you, I almost think he's sort of as good as he is. I almost sort of think he's a burden. Lingering over them, and they need to sort of reinvent themselves and reinvent their ide- identity. And I think the appointment of Postacoglu is sort of an attempt to do that because I think they sort of they got a bit swept up in thinking they were, are a p- very big club, and they sort of tried to go for this sort of instant success. Um, you know, bigger star managers, you know, Mourinho and Conte, and that isn't how Spurs have been successful in the past, and that isn't their identity. It's about having you know getting a manager from a, a lower club and sort of who's you know sp- spotting someone who who has potential and then sort of elevating them and making them overperform and that's what postecoglou looks like to me and i think part of that restructuring of the identity involves getting rid of kane um as much as they love him um do you have anything to add on that mac before we touch on more elements of the squad
0: yeah happy to uh i think two things one entirely agreed i think there's a lot of young strikers who could come to spurs for a lot of the money invested in kane players like gonzalo ramos you know players who have really good forward profiles but who are crucially young and have sell on potential and you can build a squad for the future around not just a squad for the next year um also just in general i have this sneaking suspicion that even if kane does leave this summer he'll be back I think he'll go to Bayern, win trophies, but I think his last kind of aspiration, other than trophies, is to break Shearer's record. So I do think he makes a move to the Premier League as an older player. Uh, you know he's also has a history of ankle injuries, and I think he's if he not, leaves oh, he's now, he's fit. not yeah. going to break that record. I I, I, just I, I don't disagree with you, but I think he wants to try. I just think he needs trophies in his career to kind of feel vindicated in terms of his ability and his success and hell he's 29 it's time for his last big move you know um that's his only big got, move really. exactly but yeah. like the last you know last chance saloon um but yeah happy to move on to the rest of the squad that's what i've got
1: for kane
2: yeah um well let's sort of start from the back end of the pitch we're obviously not going into too much detail but they've signed Vicario Um, I think that's how you say his name. Um, obviously Mack can give us some insight probably (laughs) knows every player on the planet. Um, I'm assuming he's come in. I've, I've read some things about him being quite an exciting goalkeeper in terms of, uh, being a very modern goalkeeper, good with his feet. Um, don't know if that's true. Um, I don't know if he's coming in to be the number one. Um, I'd assume he is. I think Lloris is absolutely finished and he has been for a few years. Um, I think that's one area they want to sort out. Uh, if, if everything I'm hearing about the way Postacoglu likes to play, he'll want a progressive goalkeeper in there. Um, the back four is an absolute mess. I think it's probably the biggest mess of the squad. Um, as I was saying earlier, they they've got defenders who are either wing backs. You look at Pedro Poro. I think he's a good player, but he's certainly played mostly as an attacking fullback or wing back. Um, And I think if you want to play him in a back four, you need to have a left back who maybe is slightly more like how when we had Kieran Tierney as a marauding left back and we had Tommy Asu on the other side who was sort of forming a back three or sometimes inverting into midfield. And I don't see that profile at the moment. They've got on coming back. They've got Cessignon, and they've got, um, Destiny Adogi. That's how you say his name. Um, yes, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, all of whom I think are again wing backs, uh, and then they've still got Davies. Is he good enough still? Um, and then I think you look at the sort of centre back area, and the only one who I think is good is Romero. Um, I mean, Dyer, Sanchez, think- Tangango, Rodon—all all poor centre backs who are used to playing in a back three. So yeah, on the back end of the pitch, yeah, go ahead, Daniel.
1: I was just going to say, I think even Romero's debatable, by the way. I mean, maybe he's a Spurs a I think he's down. overrated, I, but he's competent. I, I don't think he's that good, man. He, he reminds me a bit of he's Mustafa, rich. man. I mean, I got to say, good athlete and everything, but a bit fucking brain dead. So, he's I don't rich. even know if he's he, good. He's,
2: he's overrated by Spurs fans, don't get me wrong, but he's competent. He's easily the best centre back that they've got. Um, Dyer I mean, if they want to play higher up the pitch, all of these defenders are useless. You can't play Dyer in a high line and you can't play him in a back four. So they've got to reinforce there if they want to be remotely good next season.
0: Their other issue, by the way, is that they have no left footed center backs. Um, actually, Eric Dyer, I don't know what good foot he is. I think he's right footed, but he is right footed. Yeah. They have, he's the only of their five or six center backs who has the ability to play off the left. Um but yeah just i guess a note on Vicario he's is it Vicario yeah it's his name right yes he's tall he is quick off his line his best ability is his shot stopping he's got amazing reflexes um he's good at like little dinked passes and is comfortable in possession he's okay with the ball at his feet he's competent unlike Hugo Lloris who would boot it into you know the third stand at any sign of danger um but yeah They just don't have any good profiles for the team. Agreed with you, Alf. I also think that... Ah, Daniel's typing. I'll see what he has to say. Uh, I think that their squad is really poorly built around, yes, a back three system, but also poorly built around a balance of center backs. They really have kind of valued aggression in recent years. It's, you know, players like Romero, Davinson Sanchez, even Tengenga is kind of best when he's quick on the front foot. Uh, and they really have very poor kind of rest defense and very poor discipline in their back line, which has been a big issue.
2: Yeah. Um, and they're linked to Edmund Tapsoba from Leverkusen, who I remember seeing live against us for Vittoria a few years ago in the Europa League, and he was absolutely brilliant. And I think... Yeah, really, really good. That would be a good signing. Him, Romero, is potentially a good partnership. Um, But beyond that, there's just no depth in that position. I think they need a new left-back. If they want to play Pedro Poro, they need someone like a on the left-hand side. Um, Midfield is interesting because I don't think it's useless. They've obviously signed Hoibier and Benton. uh, Sorry, they have Hoibier and Benton I think if they're looking at the sort of midfield three that Postacoglu wants to play. I think Madison was a smart signing. Um sort of Hoybeg at the base with Benton Curran, and Madison as the eights. I I don't mind it. Um and beyond that, I think Besuma in a good system with as a six rather than a double pivot, you know, maybe we'll see a bit of a resurgence there. And obviously they've got Ndombele and LaCelsa coming back who were very hyped when they signed them. Uh, didn't go to according to plan, but maybe with a good manager with a system, there's a renaissance there. But again, and Dombele's had plenty of issues injury wise. So, midfield wise is interesting. I think they need to get rid of Ollie Skip. Um, yeah, anything on that sort of area, Danny? Uh,
1: I, I, I gotta say, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the midfield of Spurs is actually kind. Of, again, pains me to say, I think it's actually kind of exciting going into next season. I agree with you. I think. I think Pazuma has potential that was just never properly extracted. And I think if, you know, a manager comes in that knows how to get the best out of players, I th- and, and you know, it sounds to me like that's what uh, this this new Aussie lad that they're getting um, kind of is. So, yeah, I, th- I think their midfield's pretty exciting. I mean, oh, fucking kind of broke my heart, to be honest, to see James Madison sign for Spurs. I quite like that player a lot, but I think it's going to be, A pretty good signing, and I think for him, in fairness, it's a pretty good move. I, if if I were him, I maybe would have preferred Newcastle, but I also understand uh, the move because it, you know, compared to Leicester, it obviously is a a somewhat big club. Um, Oh God, I'm puking the mic saying that. Um, But I think there's talented players here. We were talking about the defense and just some of those names you guys were listing. I was just sitting here laughing to myself because they are just so bad. Alpha, you with the straight face just said that. Romero is their best defender which is just insane to me like their midfielders actually have some talent and I think for Spurs that will be really helpful this season because obviously it's one of the most important parts of the pitch but they need some more recruitment still I think they still need to bring in some names in there and Dombele I mean a lot of potential there but is he ever going to really be able to uncover it I'm not so sure um Hoiberg, obviously Spurs fans love him. But I mean, what a Spurs player. Uh, that that, Hoiberg is literally just Tottenham Hotspur personified, if we're being totally honest. Um, But yeah, a lot of potential there. I think they just have to move some bits and pieces around a bit, this transfer window, and then get the best out of what you got because they have talented players. All they have to do is properly coach them, which clearly Conte could not do.
2: I agree. I think it's probably the area of their team that probably needs the least amount of work now. Um, the back end and the front end were where the question marks are. Mac, knowing the way Postacoglu pl- plays, do you like that sort of constructed midfield of Hoyberg and, and Bensicura and Madison? Um, and any chance of an Ndombele resurgence? Because this is a player I really liked
0: before he went to Spurs and messed his career up. I think Tengi Dombalay could be very good for Ench Postacoglu, um, and I'm going to say that quietly. <laughs> but yeah, I think that with and Gio Lo Celso as well. Lascello is not a bad player. I don't like him, but he's not a bad player. Um, and I think if you know they can figure out their contract situations and kind of be back, you know, brought back into Postacoglu's system, could be solid. Um, that said, I do think that if one or both of those players go, they definitely need another like box to box, creative eight. Um, I won't be providing suggestions because we got to stop talking about Spurs. But, yeah, I think that they could both be useful. It just depends on how Pasta sees them fitting in. I do think Bentancur in a slightly more advanced position alongside Madison could be very dangerous. They just don't have much depth, um, which stinks. And then, yeah. Well, that's another
2: symptom of of – being a squad that's been built around playing a, a 3 4 3, in that exactly, you, know, it's, you it's just don't centrum, have many central midfielders. It's two yeah. center midfielders. So, the last season, they literally had Hoiberg, Benton, Basuma, and Skip, and I guess Saar at the, the end. And now they're going to a position where they need three. Um, and yeah, they're looking light on depth. Front three, um, Kulisevsky obviously secured his permanent move, is good. Um, I think his season didn't really pan out. How, uh, how it looked like it might at the start of the season. Obviously, a lot of co- is contingent on Kane leaving, um, and how they sort of rebuild if he does go. Um, son, I think he's he's not finished, but he's declining, and I don't think we're going to see the son we saw from twenty one, twenty two ever again. Um, and Richarlison is laughable. Um, I know he was brought in to play across that front three, but I think again with a four three three, uh. Is he, you know, an out and out winger, or was he more of an inside forward slash striker? Um, I think there's question marks there. And then they've still got Perisic um, and Brian Hills coming back. Uh, it's a strange, strange, you know, strangely assembled front three again, which is suited more to that sort of three four three um, formation they were playing. And they're signing Mana Solomon, which is a strange one because I don't think he's very good. Uh, any final words on Spurs and their front three before we? move on cuz quite frankly it's disgraceful how long we've spoken uh, about them.
1: It really is. I, I think with with their front three it's I think they just got to spend money. And the thing is about players on that in that sector of the pitch up front, they're really expensive. I think Tottenham are just going to have to splash a lot of cash if they want that that front line to improve. Kulusevski and I think
2: they can only do that if they sell Kane.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and, and they probably won't. So, I uh, yeah, this is why I think they're just not even a threat, basically, in any capacity next season, because I think they're a terribly run club. Um, and they just, at the moment, it's a beautiful sight to see. They have a lot of players that are just not at the level.
2: Let's have a sort of range of outcome uh, prediction for them. I think they could finish anywhere between 6th and ninth. I don't see any higher, probably not any lower. Next season, agreed.
0: I think they could finish fifth. Um, depend depending on some depending on some squad variants. I think they could finish fifth. Um, but I think that's their ceiling. Sixth is still Europa League place, isn't it? Yes, I think I'm right. So Europa League is their ceiling. They're oh, not getting higher than that. I can't, I can't see them finishing about sixth. I think mean, with the, the teams ahead uh, of them, which we'll get yeah. onto, are just better.
1: I, no I, doubt. I think even sixth is is a stretch, man. I don't even know if Spurs can finish six with this squad. I mean, their, their defense, is just a shambles at the moment. And, and again, they're going to have to spend a lot of money up front if they want to refresh everything. Unless, unless, you know, unless the new coach can get, get a a lot more out of them than anyone else did. But I'm, I'm just not so sure.
2: Isn't it lovely? Um, and it's only getting any, it's only getting better as we move on to another absolute shit show, um, in Chelsea, who, for me, are the next team up. I think they they might be marginally better than Spurs next season, but I think it's close. Um, Mac obviously doesn't agree. Um, let me get Chelsea's sheet three on the dock, just so you guys follow. Um, yeah, obviously spent huge amounts of money um, and have been saved somewhat by Saudi Arabia this summer, uh, just coming in and buying a load of their players who they would never be able to should move on anyway in a uh, uh, without Saudi um and it's left their squad in a weird place I actually think their back four is quite settled now and there's some good symmetry with you know two right-footed centre-backs left in Fafano and Thiago Silva and uh two left-footed in Badish-Shiela and Colwell if they can keep Colwell um and James and Gusto are good options on the right I think the left back's a bit more questionable with Chilwe and Cucarella. um before we get into that, though, um, obviously brought in Pochettino. Thoughts on that appointment, Mac?
0: Uh, this one scares me a little. I, Maurizio Pochettino has one of the best reputations in Europe for taking young players and developing a cohesive squad. And that is kind of what Chelsea have. A bunch of young players and very little cohesion. And like improving that is probably their biggest aim right now. I mean, we were discussing this in the pre-pod call, but outside looking at their squad as a whole outside of the dinosaur himself, Tiago Silva, Kukure is not terrible. Like he's young, but he's not like a, an infant. 25. Um Yeah. 25, I think. Yeah. And Raheem Sterling, their squad is really, really, really young. Um, and they keep bringing in players of that profile. Uh, obviously, that's assuming that Aubameyang and Lukaku and Hakim Ziyech don't stay this summer, which I don't think they will. Um, that is detailed in the little squad thing, but it's you know they're not staying around. Um, regardless, I think that Pochettino is probably the best manager that I can think of to manage this squad right now but I think that he's going to have to work really hard to develop what he currently has without any further recruitment. I think they've got a lot of trouble spots, and I don't think their squad works together in terms of player profiles, which is why I put them below Spurs. But um, that's my little two cents on Potch. It'll be nice to see him back in the Premier League for aura reasons, but... I
2: think the the weird thing is and i agree that it it's it's quite a good appointment i actually think you know Graham potter would have been in s- like a substantially better position with this squad than the squad he inherited just because it's smaller there's less there's fewer egos um and it'd be easier to deal with and i actually think there's some players in there who'd like um but they obviously didn't persist with that and that's where i sort of stand with potch in that I think he they could make big strides next season. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the top four again. And I think when, no, when it's Chelsea, I think he's a
0: project manager, isn't he? Like that's, he that's is, the but, point. But
2: are Chelsea is Todd Bowley going to commit? Because he did. It looked like they were going to with Potter, and then they just sacked him when it didn't go you know that smoothly. Are yeah. they going to you know are they going to commit to Pochettino? When I don't think I, I think the highest again with range of outcomes, I think is basically the same as Spurs maybe six to eight. Uh, eighth i don't see them finishing above sixth i think they're so far off it. it's such a young squad that it's like you know there's, there's young there's youth that we had um but i think the young players we had were more established at least and we at least had a sort of glittering of you know older more experienced players um i don't see that in this squad i just think it's yeah I just uh, there's so much variance with young players and a young squad i just think it's going to be they're going to be too far off it so that's why i'm sort of skeptical is, as to whether they'll actually you know back potch which they should but you know if it doesn't go that smoothly
1: that's always been the problem with chelsea and i think um in in a way i sort of see that entire club and their fan base as slightly similar to like manchester united and the way that they're like we want success right now. And it's like, well, you just came in 12th place. You're not going to win the league the next... I mean, I know that's happened to them before, so that's why they expect that. But that's not really, one, sustainable, and two, how it's going to work. This team, I think, pretty much has to grow up together. Like you both said, it's a very young squad. I think there's a lot of promising talent in there. I'm still, I'm still on the boat where I think Mudra can still work out, to be honest. I think he just needs time to develop... There's clearly a very good athlete in there and a good player too. So the thing is, though, it's, it's exactly like Alfie said. Is this board going to give Pochettino the time to grow with this team, to help nurture this team into the side that it can become? That's to be seen, That's just not in Chelsea's DNA to keep a manager around for the long term. It's one of those things where it's like Chelsea seemed to always make a relatively good decision. In bringing in players, I, I think maybe you could exclude Obama Yang from that one. I didn't really understand that signing at all, to be honest. But um, most of their signings that they've brought in, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. You know, they're they're splashing a lot of cash, but I get it. You know, it looks like they have a clear vision in mind. Maybe they're overpaying sometimes, but they have an unlimited amount of money. So I
2: don't, I don't think Bolí's really had that clear vision in the sort of first maybe. six months. I think he just, he just, he's playing like career mode. He just saw a player and was like, "I'm going to sure. pay eighty mil for that." And I think I, I would agree that maybe, maybe we all sort of overlooked it in that he's looking at a long term plan with some of these young players. But some of it was just reckless. I think
1: I agree, and yeah, for sure. Like they, they just spent way too much money in that transfer window and you should have known that bringing in that many players but what i mean is in in terms of a clear direction is they're bringing in all young players and they have a young manager coming in their last manager was uh, young as well and it just seemed like they had the right sort of uh idea in mind you know young manager young team it's going to look good and it just didn't end up working out. The idea sounded good on paper, then obviously didn't come to fruition and ended up being a total flop. And I got to be totally honest with the Alfie. I'm, I'm just not sure Pochettino is going to be able to manage this unit because though, yes, a significant amount of fat has been trimmed off uh, from Potter's side, I don't really think the team is manageable yet. There's still a lot of moving pieces. And if you look at this side compared to the one that Pochettino coached At Spurs, I think what made Spurs so good back in the day was they had kind of a small amount of very good players. You look at this Chelsea team, they have a very wide array of talented players. So I think it'll be really difficult for Pochettino to manage that side, but we'll see what happens, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Looking at their squad after how I said, I think they're um, getting a cool weight let me
0: unprofessional um, Alfie I can, I to decline it mute your phone during the courting lad <laughs> um
2: yeah but it goes on my my laptop as well um oh that's fair enough that yeah uh, i think the back four is has been quite well built now i think there's just a glaring hole in their midfield they don't have any midfielders um oh, My housemates playing extremely loud music right outside my door. You hear that? No, um, I mean, I can, but
1: (laughs) it's a bad Uh, idea. But you're right, there is a huge
2: There there is, I mean, if you look at the document, they literally don't have any midfielders. Like, they've let go of Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, Loftus Cheek, Mount, and Zakaria's ended his loan. That's six midfielders obviously different profiles, but six midfielders within about six months. And they've been left with Enzo Fernandez basically. And they've got Conor Gallagher there. Don't rate him at all. I've been vocal on that in the past. And they've got Nkunku, I guess you could say that. They've got 18-year-old Santos, Andre Santos, and Lewis Hall can play midfield. But it's basically nothing. Like, if they had to play a Prem game tomorrow, you'd be looking at a midfield of Enzo Fernandez, Conor Gallagher, and Nkunku. Like they've got a sign there's at least no de- there's, four there's no there. defending
0: there there's not an there's ounce of defending yeah, I there mean,
2: <laughs> fernandez maybe is a sort of deep six playmaker but you know it's just it's just a they, they need to speed up they need moises carcelo desperately they probably need a couple more after that so they've sort of gone from being incredibly inflated and they've still got a very inflated forward line um but they've gone from an incredibly inflated squad to having basically no midfield within about two months so it's weird um
0: yeah Mac go 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 ahead I mean it's the reason they wanted Manuel Aguarte who just went to PSG from sporting um they need a tough profile they need a midfielder a profile of a midfielder who can get the best out of um oh god <laughs> get the best out of Enzo Fernandez like you can't spend 108 million on a player and then have him sit there doing nothing you know um especially because he was okay in a double pivot with Kovacic. Once he was kind of rotated into the sole six in a system last season, like at the end of last season, um, a lot of those weaknesses became a little more glaring. Like he, you know, yes, improved his progressive passing. Of course he did. He's 15 yards farther back on the pitch. More of his passes are inherently going to be progressive. Um, Everything else has gotten worse from his time at Benfica because he's not being played in a position and ahead of players with that ability. Um, I mean, you know, at Benfica, he played alongside Florentino Luis, who, if you go back like two years of this podcast, I cited as a potential defensive midfielder placement. I've been a big fan of his, and he's finally kind of coming to the forefront um, recently to West Ham. But I think in general, he is, you know, a player who plays well when he's got defensive... Abilities behind him um, when he can be aggressive and front-footed and drive and pass the ball the way that he, you know, he's worth a good majority of the price tag they paid for him, but he's not in a system making the best of him. Um I mean they do have three and a half midfielders. Like I would count Lewis Hall as half midfielder, half left back. He's also he's good. He's not that good, he's not very Premier League proven. Um, and in Kunku plays better as a number 10 or, like, a second striker. Um, Not necessarily a false nine because he likes seven players in front of him. But, like, they truly have no midfield. And I think in order to build it, they need at least two solid eights. As you've mentioned, Alf, they've lost six. But of those six, I'm not sure how many would still be kind of perfectly built for the squad that they're trying to do. Like, yes, Mount and Havertz in the same window is rough but Zachariah never panned out. They relied on Ruben Loftus-Cheek in six different positions last year. I actually counted. Um, they played him all across the midfield at number 10. They played him up front at right wing, right back, and I think left mid at one point. Um, you can't be doing that with Ruben Loftus-Cheek if you're looking to succeed. Like, they just need a solid vision, um, and their management department, other than going after Caicedo has been absolutely shtum on how they're rebuilding this midfield, which I think is a little worrisome for them. But I personally would expect to see them play a lot of four two three one next season. I think they're going to try and play in Kunku as a number ten. Um, that's just my theory, though.
2: Yeah, I see that. Um, maybe even sort of second strikery, uh, like yeah. kind of use him like Pochu's Deli Alley potentially.
0: Um, that was like, yeah, that's the exact yeah. thought. Speaking of Poch, wants to talk to Deli um yeah, I He saw did an that. interview the other day, but Actually, no, it he Chelsea. misses him and wants to know how he's going
2: renaissance um yeah i mean it's just strange isn't it that midfield and it's gonna i think it'll get to a point where they sort of end up having to panic by just to get bodies in um kind of like they did at the end of last summer um and then they've just got endless forwards still um just to list them maduweke zh hudson adoy chakwameka sterling mudrick Huch- hutchinson and kunku jackson brozier Albamiang, lukaku I mean, that's... You, you've, for, you've forgotten Datro Fofana. I did, but then I actually... I had him on the document, but I removed him because he's about to join someone on loan. I can't remember who.
0: Yeah, I also think yeah. he still qualifies for, like, the youth protocol that means he doesn't have to be registered, but... Yeah.
2: um, I mean, it's just... I mean, obviously, they'll try and get rid of Abame and Lukaku, whether they'll be able to, I don't know. Um, And they want to get rid of Ziyech and hudson Adoy, which will leave them with literal kids barring sterling so it's just a strange scenario i i'm assuming they want to sort of do mudrick maduweke and kunku and maybe a bit of sterling but it's weird or, or jackson down the middle i, I think signing. it's
0: mudrick Madaweke jackson with yeah. him kunku in behind and sterling maybe coming
2: in and getting some minutes i don't know it's weird uh any any words on that danny
1: just for how much money they spent. That just sounds like a stinky front line, man. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, dude. it has like,
2: potential, but it's not going to be good next season, it's, uh,
1: Just, It's going to be a serious transition period for them. And, uh, yeah. It's I the just,
0: career mode thing. Like, it, they're playing yeah, career mode.
1: exactly. It's it's almost like somebody went on FIFA and was like, I'm going to look for pacey winger so I could play counterattacking uh, football. It, it just doesn't really actually inspire all that much confidence, I, I think. And then you look at their... Just completely gaunt midfield. I think Chelsea. It's it's so funny to say because they bought twenty eight players last season. They seem like a team that needs to buy more players. You know, like they just. Ah, I don't know, man. That 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 team is in a bit of a fucking mess right now and Todd Boley just yeah went crazy FIFA career mode and I didn't know what the hell he was doing I, I like that they were bringing in young players young managers but apart from that I don't really understand the the rest of it and you know I'm seeing these guys like Jackson like and Kunku and and they're exciting young talent but you just never know how they're gonna mesh in the Premier League I mean Mac I know you're a huge Bundesliga fan but there's a lot more space in the Bundesliga than there is in the premier league. And I think the question has to be asked, how is and going to carry this attack in a league that he is just not familiar with at all. And I, I, you know, I think he'll probably end up working out because I do think he's a supremely talented player, but I don't think he's going to work out next season. I think he's going to have to have a year to, to, to grow into the league.
0: I'm more worried about Nicholas Jackson, to be honest. Um, I think Nkunku's got enough experience both at international level but also in high profile Champions League games that he will be familiar with the kind of physicality and pressing intensity of the Premier League if he can, you know, adjust to it week in, week out as a difference. But Jackson is a forward who likes to play on the back shoulder, who is really a big fan of running lines and dribbling. Um, I think of the eleven goals he scored in la liga last year um like i think seven of them were off of the dribble like off of a run that he made by himself he's a forward much like Mikhail mudrick in fact who operates really well when he has space ahead of him and we've all seen how that's worked out for michael mudrick at chelsea uh, i just think in general that it's not going to be his greatest season he also can't head the ball fun fact um he He accurately met, by that I mean literally physically connected with three crosses the entirety of last season, did Nicholas Jackson. He scuffed two of them into the ground over 10 feet wide and missed one of them about three feet high. Actually, I think there might have been a fourth that was caught by the goalkeeper. Um, He can't have the ball, so... I hope they're not planning on crossing it at all because they shouldn't expect uh, good things. I mean, I, I'm just mental, you know, those stats.
1: What a nerd. I, I watched
0: a preview video on him like a week ago.
1: It's funny because like all these players, you know, and then you even throw like Albamiang into the mix and stuff. It seems like a team that would or a, a front three that would do like really well in La Liga or something, you know, where they can they can get that sort of space. But I, think I just
2: Bundesliga mostly.
1: Bundesliga, yeah, for it's sure. A very, it's a very high vertical
2: league. Ridiculously yeah. high lines that they play there.
1: Sure, sure. I, you know, you get that space in behind and, and all that. You know, maybe maybe League One as well. But I just in the Premier League, I just don't think you're going to get that sort of a space against you know, Luton Town sitting back with eleven behind the ball. I mean, you're not going to have space in behind.
2: Yeah, I mean, looking at it maybe i've been swayed they might be wor- they might be lower than spurs in the power rankings i think it's so close what i'd say is i think there's more potential talent a lot more potential talent in that squad yeah. than spurs but it's more raw and there's probably more unpredictability about it um if you know what i mean so i'm i'm i think it's it's hit or miss between them um it's very marginal let's move on from them because i mean we've spent 51 minutes speaking about two absolute dreadful uh, clubs that I hate, and it's probably not going to be get much better. We were I think we were,
1: we were always going to talk about them the longest because that, that Schadenfreude just, just yeah. slapped. Yeah,
2: and it's about you know? it the, the most problems, in it. fairness. Like, yeah, it is Schadenfreude, actually. <laughs> um, And we didn't even mention the their goalkeeping situation because Kepa is not good, um, and they probably need a goalkeeper. They've always got rid of Mendy. Um, I think Stiglin is actually going to be okay.
0: Isn't he like 18 or something, or 19? Yes, he's young. But I think Kepa is at least reasonable. Um, he was quite good at the end of last season, so if he continues that form, who knows? But it was alright. I, th- I think Soluine is going to be very good eventually. Fair enough. Um, yeah, let's let's take a big leap
2: from uh, those dreadful teams, and I think there's a big gap between them and the next few. I think they'll be in a sort of section, uh, sort of grouping with Villa and Brighton. It'll be sort of those four and then there'll be a big gap between, I think, who are the clear top five. Um, And let's go, who do you think's next? I think it's just about Newcastle, but I think it could be United.
0: I think it's Newcastle. Danny?
1: I think so too. I think United have, unfortunately, some talented players that could help propel them to a top four challenge.
0: And also have yet to recruit, and they're going to do it in a big way.
2: Fair enough. Uh, Let's go to Newcastle then. Um, What sheet is that? Eight. Sheet eight. Sheet eight, yeah. Terrible podcasting. Um, With Newcastle, I think they were really good. I think they were the third best team in the league last season. Um, I think they were better than United. The issue is, it's their first season in Europe, so it's their new burden on the squad. They haven't gone particularly big this summer. I do think... There's a ceiling with Eddie Howe. I think he's a good coach, really good coach. I think when it comes to him actually recruiting players, it's, it's weird. Like his his choice of players is weird. I don't think he should be in charge of recruitment and we'll get on to um, Sandro Tonali. I also think, yeah, I think there's a ceiling. Like, I think he can be the guy who can lead them into Europe. I don't think he's the guy who's going to take them to a Premier League title. Um, looking at their squad, I think there are clear areas of weakness. Um I think they've got two excellent strikers. I think they've got a good back four. I think they need a left back and that's why they've been linked with Tierney. I think Trippier's going to be a year older. I think sort of having him in a slightly more conservative role where he's sitting deeper and just being a sort of playmaking right back rather than doing sort of more overlapping will suit him given he's getting on. And, you know, to sort of counteract that, maybe they bring in a left-back who overlaps someone more than Dan Byrne is capable of. Um, And that's why I think the Tierney links make sense. Um, I also think, just looking at that squad, I mean, the depth in in defence is very poor. You know, can Kieran Trippier play every minute next season? Um, Can he play Champions League and Prem when he's at 32 and he's such a key player? You know, Shah's getting on. Botman's brilliant, but
0: well, Fabian Cher also played out of his gourd for an entire year. Like yeah. he's they, they he's need been, they need
2: a, they need defenders. They need a right-sided centre back desperately. They need a right. I think Timber would have been a good signing. For, I mean, just someone that's sort of I think, uh, sort of a a right back slash centre back, someone who could fill in both positions, would be a sensible signing, and then. A left back and then you've got so basically it's sort of a left-sided dan burn a right-sided dan burn would be a good signing plus a left back and then i look at their midfield i want to talk about tonali because he's obviously the statement signing they made i don't think he's that great and i think he's a huge amount of money to spend on a player i don't think it's that great
0: um we'll go to mac who obviously will know some stuff about him go ahead <laughs> Uh, first of all, Sandro Tonali is not a number six. Don't listen to it. Anyone's been telling you he is very firmly a number eight. Um, I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's an amazing player. Um, he's unbelievably tidy in possession, really technically secure. He will keep you the ball better than most young midfielders in the world. Um, two downsides: he can be occasionally lax, um, in his dropping back defensive work rate he's very good at pressing up at leading a press and structuring but if he gets beaten in transition he will not be the fastest player back the second issue is that he likes to play really long diagonal switches of play and he's not really all that good at them uh he has one of the worst success rates in terms of volume played of long passes specifically diagonals and switches of play in the entirety of europe um Obviously, that's not really the style that Eddie Howe likes, so I'm sure it'll be different. I think Gumarash will absolutely continue to play as their number six. Um, and I think Sandro Tanali as a facilitator of possession, is very much worth it, frankly. I think 70 million is what you need to lure an Italian player at his dream club out of Italy. There was a tweet from the Twitter account Gunner Thoughts who is in no way like... A reputable source but he just saw there's the there's a video of Sandro tonali walking through newcastle and basically commenting unhappily on all of their features and his wife trying to cheer him up it's a brilliant watch if you The have seen, it. seen the one where he's, he's looking at the
2: newcastle gym and, yes uh, and someone translated it from italian uh, yeah his, goes, his
0: wife goes the gym wasn't as big in milan and he responds yeah, yeah it was bigger yeah um <laughs> But and Gunner Thoughts quoted that and was like, "I'm not sure there's a bigger risk award in football than taking an Italian out of Italy and hoping you can keep him happy." Um, if Eddie anyhow can do that, props to him because I think he'll be a very good player. Can I but, can I just say
1: on that? Yeah, I I think as soon as he walks into that stadium, because
0: oh my god, yes, I think the St- they have a, St. James just is a,
1: ridiculous. I think St James just has an absolutely amazing atmosphere, and and I know Milan is his, the love of his life, and I get it. But I think as soon as he walks into that Newcastle stadium and he hears how good the atmosphere is and just sees how high the level is in the Premier League and he's playing in the Champions League, I think he'll be a happy camper. So I think he's just got a bit of resting bitch face at the moment, but I think he'll be just fine.
0: In fairness, the San Siro is not going to exist after this year. So like it's probably good he's made the move away now. It's true. Um, I do see
2: some sense in it in terms of a fit. I think the Newcastle you know, sort of playing style that we've become accustomed to under Heady Al is very much well, their their rates are sort of workhorse, box-to-box, very energetic, high-octane, good, you know, progressive carriers. And the one area in the data he actually stands out in is progressive carrying. He's pretty much, well, very average at everything else. He's quite creative. And I think in a way, it's sort of a a good alternative to Joe Linton and Willock. But uh, from what I've heard, uh, all Newcastle fans talking about, they wanted a, a sort of disruptive six who could sort of free up Bruno and make and you know allow him to play as an eight. And that, as as Max touched on, is not what Tonali is. So I do think it's weird in that sense.
0: That said, um, I think if they bring in a six, a midfield three of a disruptive six, Gamarish and Tonali is unreal. Like mm-hmm. that's absurd. But, well, th- yeah.
1: I think the issue is with Newcastle. There has been a lot of talk that they can only spend so much money without getting in trouble, sort of. I a think thing. they're
2: sort of they're trying to sports wash uh bit in a subtle way.
1: Exactly. Like it's gotta be like make
2: it look look like sports washing. Mm.
1: I think if they were Very like
2: effective sports washing, you could argue.
1: hundred percent. I think if they were a little further along in their journey, I think they'd be all over Kaiseido. You know, but I just don't think they're quite there yet. And yeah, subtle sports washing, so you don't want to be going out spending hundreds of millions during a transfer window, just sort of out of nowhere. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's just the general attitude of Tenali, like what I've seen him doing on the pitch, and just his his mannerisms and all the all the times I've watched him, he's been quite good. Um, I, I haven't really taken the time to look at all the underlying metrics and stuff, but I just feel like. His personality and his ability, I think it'll mesh pretty well in Newcastle. But I think, yeah, I think they just need that that number six. Because I've always seen Gimoresh as well as a dude that should be maybe that little bit higher up the pitch. Because, I mean, for for a totally obvious reason, the guy could put the ball in the back of the net. And, and he's just pretty good going forward. So, yeah, I think they need just an out-and-out center defensive mid. But I do think there's a lot of potential in that midfield. I just don't know if Eddie Howe quite understands how to find the player to get the best out of some of those other players. And because of that, here's my hot take. I think... I don't know. Source, trust me, bro. But I really think this might be Eddie Howe's last season at Newcastle. And then they'll move on to a different manager. Maybe take that step up to a guy
0: Graham Potter. Knows.
1: I mean, you could see it, Perhaps. right? You, yeah. you could see it. And and yeah, I, th- I think... Eddie Howe's done really well to get them to where they are, but I just can't really see Newcastle doing any better than they did last season, to be honest. I think they'll probably actually drop down a couple of spots. Um, But regardless, I think they're going in the right direction, and of course, an unlimited amount of money is going to make you do that.
2: Yeah, and I think part of their sports washing project is sort of building this high-octane, hard-working team with a with some you know an english core an english coach um some english players who sort of fit that bill and i do think, think they do end up moving on from eddie howe gray and would still I, I, fit that I, I, and yeah. it's, it's sort of to resonate yeah. with those those fans in new i'm just gonna say sort of passionate you know club. reflective yeah. of the city yep yeah exactly um and that's what they're trying to do with the glittering of sort of flair in you know bruno and i guess Isaac and and tonali
0: chillinton to an extent
2: Joe Linton to an extent, but even him, he's like sort of a
0: workhorse box to box, box to box physical eight, isn't he? He's the most aggressive fowler in the Premier League by like double the minutes. Yeah. Um,
2: I think they need more in forward areas. I think they've got two excellent strikers, and Ezek and Wilson. I, I'm not convinced by any of their wingers, really. Um, so Maximum's so hit and miss, so sort of inconsistent. Gordon, I think there's potential as a left eight, but I don't really see him as an explosive winger in this team. Almiron had a, you know, a, you know, he, he, he had a purple patch last season, but I'm not convinced about him long term. And then they've got the likes of, you know, Ryan Fraser still there. And, and uh, Murphy, they've signed a, a
0: young, I think he's 18, uh, called Kowal. Yeah. G- Garin He's a stud. Quill. Uh, give him four years and he's going to be amazing, but like he needs time. Yeah, uh, actually another Alan Riley special because he's an Aussie, but he's he's going to be really, really good. Um, that said, they are also, as mentioned, I think I said it earlier, uh, planning on signing, trying to sign Harvey Barnes for around thirty five million. I think that is a great pickup for their left wing, but Again, they need a better right wing. Brexit yeah. bill, doesn't it? <laughs> no doubt. Um,
2: yeah, I don't know. I agree with Daniel. Actually, I think they'll make a slight step down Next season, uh, largely because I think yeah. they're not going to, you know, m- you know, depth out the squad to the extent where they can cope with Prem and uh, Champions League because of their sort of highly intense style. I think it will take its toll. Um, but I think the year after they'll, I think they could change manager. I think they might go strength to strength and go big after next season, um, after a sort of season consolidating themselves in the top six. Because um, I still think they'll finish probably probably fifth. Um, I'm
1: going to yeah.
0: say sixth to fourth is their range with a I'll very agree. probable fifth. Yeah, I'd say sixth to fourth.
1: Here's my question about Newcastle. I mean, I, I know money talks, and if you just offer any player the right wages, they'll they'll probably just end up coming in, Um, as we've seen with the Saudi League. But do you think there's any danger of them potentially not making the Champions League next season and then not being able to have that sort of pulling power that they have this one? Because I think you're in the Champions League, I think you've got to go for those Tenalis. You've got to go for those high-profile players because we just see how much of an influence that has in a player's decision. I, I just want to know what you thought about that, Alfie. To,
2: to some extent, I think they're always going to struggle uh, to pull players because they're not in London. Um, I like Newcastle as a place, but I think for foreigners, it is as high as you can get in England um, in terms of northernness, and the weather is not... <laughs> not the greatest. I think they are always going to struggle to bring in some sort of big names um, in a way that I think Manchester City did early on as well um, because, you know, Manchester, one of the most rainy cities on the planet. Um, I think over time, they'll be able to just because they'll sort of sustain themselves at the top and they'll have the money and they'll probably have the managers to attract players. But I think in the immediate short term, it might might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, I'm happy to move on if you guys are. All right. Well, who's next for me? It's clearly United. I think United and Newcastle are in the other gap, and I think there's another gap um, to Arsenal, and Liverpool. Um, but yeah, do you guys agree?
1: I agree. Yeah, I think I think Liverpool's a little bit above United for me.
0: I think United are next up. I still don't think Liverpool are quite at our level. This is yes, they've had amazing recruitment. Um, I have reasons for this that I'm happy to explain, but. I think United are next. Yeah. I agree.
2: Let's go to United then because I kind of looking forward to being a bit critical of them. Um, I think their last season was uh, overrated. I think they, they got 75 points in the end, but they weren't a 75 point team. They're probably a mid sixties point team. They overperformed um, on all the metrics and just eye test to be honest. Um, I think they were probably the 5th best team last season in the Premier League maybe 6th um they were sort of in that range uh I don't know I just maybe I'm biased because I hate them but I I think I see issues in this squad and there's FFP problems um they're talking about after they sign o'nana and they've obviously signed Mount they're going to have to sell before they can bring in a striker which they desperately need I've in the document I've literally left a gap where striker is because they just don't have one I don't think I think it's clear Rashford is not a number 9 um, he can do it in certain games but most of the time he's not that focal point they need and Martial is just forever injured so they need that striker I think there's still question marks about the midfield Casemiro's getting on he was good last season I still think He's he, he can't deal with he's not press resistant, I don't think. He's good at passing when he's got loads of time. Uh he is a good ball winner. And I think they need someone who can sort of dictate the tempo from that position. They've got they've gone with two advanced eights. And I think that's fine if your six is like an insanely good playmaker, like someone like Tiago or even Thomas Partey. And if they have an inverted fullback but they don't play with inverted fullbacks. So I think there's issues in this squad. Um I think I look at their right-back position, I don't think they're going to be able to address it this summer because of the financial restrictions they've got, but I think that's an area where they'll need to upgrade. Um, I almost sort of compare it to when Arteta came in and he had Bellerin and Maitland-Niles, and they were both all right, but they weren't quite at the level. I think Wan-Bissaka is an outstanding 1v1 defender. We all know that, but I think he's so limited in every other aspect of his game. I think when you're playing a possession Style, which I think they'll want to. I think he'll, I think Ten Hag will want to evolve into playing a team that plays higher up the pitch, which they didn't. They played very deep last season, which will test out Alessandro Martinez, who's been very highly rated. I think he's good, but we've yet to see him in a high line. Um, and with that, will come having more of the ball, and that's when Wembasaka, I don't think, will be good enough, and Dallas quite limited for me. Um, yeah, I think there's question marks. Uh, Danny, what do you want to say about United?
1: Yeah, United's a really interesting uh, a team at the moment because I think, you know, I'm just looking at your spreadsheet, just looking over the entire squad, and I think there's very obvious quality in there. I personally, I personally do rate Lissandra Martinez quite highly. Um, I, I think he's, he's pretty good. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. I just want to
2: see him when he has to play on the halfway line every game.
1: For sure. Um, and I think that's always sort of been the issue with Manchester United, though, in recent years is like, They have good players, but just as a unit, there's always been, I mean, for shit, it seems like the last decade, there's been very weak points. I mean, you you touched on right back there. Holy Mississippi is that weak. Goalkeeper last season was a fucking problem. And I think... And
2: just on that, to every United fan I've argued about how, how bad De Gea is, you are going to see how much a diff- of a difference Onana is going to make to you. It's going to be, yeah. you know, huge, huge. I agree. It's a big. It'll make. You know, remember we thought Leno was fine, and then we bought him Ramsdale, and we saw the difference. It's going to be so much more man- monumental because De Gea is far worse than Leno was.
1: Uh, absolutely, but can I say about Onana? And and not that De Gea was anything to call home about about making saves. Onana is just not the best at making saves, though. From from what I've seen, I mean. I think he's... I think we'll see. We'll see. I think, I, guess.
0: I think he's going to be quite good.
1: Okay. I think he's exceptional with the ball at his feet. Probably one of the best in the world. But it just... Yeah, I'm a little worried um, just in terms of, of how he's going to do um, just stopping the ball from going to the back of the net. And I think that's why United just have to make sure they shore up that defense. And yeah, due to financial fair play reasons, as you were alluding to, Alfie, it's going to be really difficult for them. I think Mount, who they brought in, I think he's going to end up being a really good signing. I think him, Bruno Fernandes, and Casemiro will mesh quite well to make a really nicely balanced midfield. Um, But it's just those other areas of the pitch, those glaring focal points that are going to prove to be a big issue for United right back striker. Those areas are a big problem for him right now. And if they can't fix them, I don't know what's going to happen with their season. I mean, I think United is in a very similar position to what we were in a few years ago. Where they just, they've got to get rid of some players that are on really high wages. And they just seem to keep making the wrong decision on transfers. And they just keep spending too much money. I have a lot of friends that are Manchester United supporters, unfortunately. And they have this ego about them Where they're like, well, he's not even, he's not, he, you know, he's not an A-list player. So I don't want him. And it's like, I think that's sort of been their big issue. I saw s-
2: someone complaining about Amrabat and said he was he played for Watford. That's obviously his brother. And someone saying they don't want Hoyland, who I think because of their financial situation, they're going to end up having to get someone like Hoyland, like a, a bit of a prospect, a little bit of a punt, obviously talented. Um, but I don't think they'll be able to afford someone like Harry Kane um, or Ossieman. Um But just on the midfield again, I do think they're all good individuals. But I I don't think... I just can't see it gelling that well. I just think they don't have that sort of ball-progressing eight. Mountain and Fernandes are sort of attacking eights, tens types. Um, And Casemiro's a pure ball winner. I don't think he's good enough on the ball. And I think if they had the system in place, like we do, and they had an inverted fullback to do some of that ball progression, I think they'd be more covered. But they don't have that at all. Um, And obviously, what they have... but behind that starting midfield is pretty bad um in terms of McTominay Fred. Fred's not a bad player, but it's never worked there. Um and Eriksen's like basically I mean he's like 32, isn't he? Um and then just I just wanted to touch on the right wing as well. I mean they've got a lot of options but they're not good. Anthony is bad. I mean Sancho is not a right winger. I think he's a he's a an attacking eight10 because he doesn't have the explosive pace um, or the physical attributes to play out wide in this league, at least. Um,
0: Unbelievable in link-up play, but that's yeah, not how they he's want He's technically
2: brilliant, but he doesn't have the physical capabilities to play in this league, I don't think. And then they've got a few youngsters as well on that right-hand side, but I think that's an issue as well. It's just there's, there's quite a lot of issues in this squad. They're nowhere near where I think some of them think they are, some of their fans. But yeah, go ahead, Mac.
0: Yeah, I think a few things. I think Onana is going to be brilliant. Um, on the note of an inverted fullback, I think they might try to invert Dallo. This is an interesting take, but he, a lot of the time, because Anthony is such a player that prefers playing wide, he actually slipped into inside half spaces a bunch for them last season and like did well in a couple of attacking moves. I think had a couple of assists and transitions. Like He's good in inside channels. Um He actually did the same thing when he was playing in Italy before he kind of came back to United when he was on loan a few seasons ago. Um, So I think there's potential there for them. I think that I think Mount is such an interesting player uh, because on one, I think Mason Mount is at his best when he is a secondary creator. I kind of I think I said this in a podcast when we were linked with him um mason mount is at his best when he does not have to be the primary creator in a team when he kind of has license to find pockets of space and facilitate play but he's good at doing that once the ball gets into advanced areas not getting the ball into advanced areas that's exactly my point also casemiro doesn't do that so i think there's a ball progression issue here and i think the other issue with casemiro is that he's a wonderful player but he's suspended a lot like the dude slurps up yellow and red cards like it's nobody's business. And I think especially in the Premier League where he's aging, the pace of play is higher. We've kind of seen that the aggression he used so effectively in La Liga is actually a little over the top in the Prem where kind of the players are just better and there's more ways to kind of get around it. Uh, If he steps up, especially into the higher midfield lines, United are constantly exposed. And I think that were I their recruitment team, my first move would have been to get a player who backs up well for both Christian Eriksen at kind of that left eight and also for Kai Samiro at, you know, a deeper lying midfield player. And they've not done that. Um, I think they're pretty scuppered at right wing. They need a center forward, obviously. But in general, their squad doesn't look terrible. But all it says is that, you know, they've got Jadon Sancho on the chopping block. For a reported 25 to 30 million, let's not forget that they paid a hundred million pounds for Jaden Sancho, including add-ons. Like, this is a player who they wanted to be the future of their team, and he is now coming out of this squad for a neat 70 million around less than what they bought him for. Frankly, I think the team that should probably go after Jaden Sancho is a team like Newcastle United. Um, I think he would do really well for them in kind of that right half space with Kieran Trippier overlapping. I think he needs to leave England. England, I don't disagree with you. Reinvent himself. Yeah, I don't think he's a Premier League player,
1: funnily enough.
0: Yeah, to have McFred as your backup for every single midfield position, like you have a midfield three and then McTominay and Fred playing wherever players can't play. Yeah, and that's not a recipe. Yeah, but like not a recipe for success. Um, Yeah. I do think that Anthony, there's a chance he may, if they can figure out a way to use him and get him in good spaces, there's a chance he may come good because he's a player of quality. He just doesn't know how to use it well. Like, he just makes dumb decisions. <laughs> That's what I would say yeah. about him. Yeah, I'd
2: agree with that. I think, I don't know, I just don't like him. <laughs> um, yeah. Neither do I. I, th- but- I, think, I think the thing on Mount is that they just saw it as an opportunity and it was too, too hard to pass up for a player of his quality for that price and what he could bring them in the long term. But I just don't think, I think if Mount hadn't been available, they wouldn't have gone for that profile player because I, I just think there's a ball progression issue there. Like I don't see how they so, getting the ball up the pitch because apart you- from Lissandro Martinez, maybe you could l- use Luke Shaw as an inverted fullback or Dallow as Max said, but they're not, they're not sort of they're, they're imperfect solutions. Um, I just think and Casemiro doesn't do that. He doesn't do ball progression really. So they're just how are they going to get the ball into the final third? Because they do have talented players in the final third: Rashford, Mount, Fernandez, really good. Uh, can Rashford, will Rashford run as hot as he did last season? We'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think it's weirdly assembled midfield personally. And you could say similar things about our midfield, but we've got the infrastructure in Zinchenko and Saliba to fit around Rice to allow Havertz and uh, Odegaard to, you know, play as the, the, the twin eights.
1: So do you not think right uh, not Right. Sorry. Do you not think, um, by the way, I think Rice probably would have been a phenomenal signing. I mean, for, for United, uh, uh, Mac was just touching on a player that can sort of back up Erickson and, and Casimir. I think, I think that was the guy, but they just weren't in a position to bring him in. Um, you don't think that Mount could adopt that sort of RG bargy, hardworking uh, drive through the line, sort of midfielder Alfie, because Maybe. I, I feel like, I don't know. i I feel like he has the work ethic to be able to do that while Bruno continues to play his sort of hero ball, if you like, and Casemiro sweeps up in the back. So that's why I feel like the midfield could work, but it's largely, largely reliant on Mount sort of adopting a style of play that maybe he's not accustomed to. But I don't know. I don't know what it is. As Max
2: said, I think he's, he's at his best picking up sort of pockets of space towards the opponent's goal and not sort of dropping deeper and and playing progressive passes. That's what I think. Anyway,
0: I will also say he's got the, he's got like the pressing characteristics to be great off the ball. Like he's going to be awesome for Eric Ten Hag in that regard. I don't trust his physicality and I don't like his play in a deeper area. Like we were scouting him for the same role as Kai Havertz for the arguably probably the most advanced of our eights. Um, And I think, he and Fernandez could tread on each other's toes if they're not careful.
1: Fair. I think, by the way, um, I think this is a huge season for someone that Max said he doesn't really rate that highly and, and Garnaccio. I think this is a really big, big year for him.
2: The problem um, he's got is he's a left winger, isn't he? And that's where sure. Rashford plays. I think so. he's
1: – well, I mean, look, Alfie, the best players figure it out. Look how Bukayo Saka got in the team. You know, I I always saw Saka as a guy that was in the future going to play as a, as a right winger because he just had supreme technical ability, um, uh, very fast and a killer left foot. So I always saw him eventually transitioning um, onto the right wing. Obviously, it looks like Garnaccio's future is going to be on the left wing. But I think if he is the young, talented player United think he is, he's going to have to find a way to get into that team, even if Marcus Rashford stays in it. And if he does, and if he lives up to the hype that you know united fans say they swear they try to compare him to some of our top quality young players i think they'll be in business but the question is can he do it
2: yeah it'll be interesting to see um and i do think ten hag is um i think he's a capable manager i do think there was a little bit of a uh incorrect perception about him of being this sort of really expressive um artistic manager who's going to play similar style of football to, you know, Arteta, Pep, that sort of school of thought. And I don't think he's ever been there. I think he's actually quite pragmatic. Um, And I think we'll see that more, even more next season. And I think you could see it by the way his team played and just, they weren't particularly in big games. They were very passive and and they sat deep quite a lot. And I think they were really bad in big games last season, mostly away from home. Um, but yeah, I, for my range of outcomes, I think if everything went brilliantly, maybe they could push into the top two, but I think that's a stretch. I'm seeing them sort of third to fifth, uh, fifth, if it goes really wrong, I think they'll finish fourth. Um, but obviously, obviously there's a lot more to happen in the season, but yeah, would you, sorry, in the summer, uh, which could change things, but how would you guys
0: see that sort of range of outcomes? With the squad they currently have, they're not finishing higher than third. Um, I think a push for the top three even is difficult. I just, I right now am struggling to see how their current squad develops past what it was last season. Um, I think Mount for Ericsson is pretty like for like. I think they'll be a little better off the ball and I think Onana will be better in distribution. But. I still don't quite see like I think they're again just when it comes to ball progression, I think that same kind of counter attacking fast flowing style that they use to great effect against a lot of teams last season is going to be what they might what might suit them best if they don't bring in more midfielders that kind of suit a more progressive style of play um so I'm gonna say probably fourth, I think fifth is possible if Newcastle ball out again um. And maybe third if Liverpool have another bad year. But who knows?
1: Yeah, I you know, with United, it's always one of those things. Even when you feel like they can't A, win a game, B, pick up a draw, C, get into the top four, it feels like they do it anyway. Um, so that would be the manner that they'd get into the top four, I feel like. But I, I realistically more see them talent-wise at a team that's in like that sort of fourth to sixth sort of area. I think they'll just between you know third and fifth i think it'll be a dogfight out there bro between them uh newcastle and and liverpool really so we'll see what happens i mean it it really just i think a big thing with united is don't concede many goals and you've got some players on the team that could put the ball in the back of the net that's what it comes down to and yeah we'll see what happens frankly i hope they finish 20th
2: (laughs) agreed except chelsea and spurs potentially uh let's move on. Um, and I think it's clearly live. Well, obviously Liverpool behind city. So we'll go to Liverpool. I think city will have the least to say about, um, but we'll go to Liverpool, which is interesting. Um, let me just get their sheet up sheet four.
1: by the way, one of the names on this sheet. If you're a real, real podcast fan should scare the shit out of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Uh,
0: reference to shout out shout dominic shout um, out the reason i joined this podcast in the first place (laughs) for for defending daniel on twitter and he dm'd me afterwards and being like do you want to write for we love yours (laughs) that's funny that dude wow that's
1: all it that all that's all it takes to win me over is just be like no daniel's a, a good guy I was like, "Fuck was yeah, like, this guy's sick,
0: bro." I wrote with him and <laughs> for "Pain in the Arsenal." He's nice; like, he's not a xenophobe. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I got here. So, it's good to see that name again.
2: Yeah. Well, if if you have no idea what we're talking about, which is, there's a good chance, unless you're a sort of a massive OG fan of this pod, um, Dominic Saboz, Sabozli assigned for Liverpool. And back in the day, Danny said that that was a hard name to write. Um, uh, it would be easier if everyone was called Smith, which makes him xenophobic, clearly. Um, yeah, Liverpool's an interesting one uh, because I think at times last season, they were just their normal set. Like they were the team that has competed with City for a number of years and was brilliant. Um, and then at times their defence just collapsed. Um, and well, mostly their, their midfield collapsed, which caused their defence to collapse. Um Trent was getting exposed because he didn't have the protection that the 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 previously very good midfield afforded him, Um, and Van Dijk fell off a cliff to some extent. Allison was still brilliant, and I think I think their attack was still excellent. Um, And I think there's a lot of good players in there. I think the same question marks stand around the fact. I mean, mainly they bought into attacking eights, mostly. I guess McAllister can do a bit of both, Um, and. They've sort of stuck with Fabinho. It looks like they're going to stick with Fabinho, who was pretty bad last season as well, fell off a cliff again. Uh, Whether or not he can rekindle his form is going to be hugely... Well, that's going to be hugely contingent on Liverpool's success, whether Fabinho can, you know, revitalise himself. Um, And also Van Dijk, has he completely passed his best? Um, And what will we see from him next season? So there's a lot of question marks um, still, but I do think it looks better with the midfield uh, enforcements they've they've added with McAllister and Sapozhnikov, and it depends. It'll be interesting to see what Trent's role is next season. Whether they, you know, commit to playing him as an inverted fullback or whether they just move into midfield entirely, which I think will require a new right back signing. Uh, which, looking at this spreadsheet, they need anyway because it's literally Trent and then Gomez. I think Calvin Ramsey's gone on loan. So yeah, um, initial thoughts, Mac.
0: Apologies. I could not find the unmute button. Um, So about 15 minutes ago, I said that there are reasons I think there's a gulf between them and Arsenal uh, and kind of the top two, you know, us and city. And as I look at this squad, I'm reevaluating that opinion slightly, um, but I'm going to stick with it for the purpose of defending this take. Um, Liverpool kind of tried three different systems last year. They, you know, came out in Klopp's, like, classic heavy metal football. Didn't work. Um, they then tried to exist in more of a box midfield, a la, you know, Pep, Arteta, et cetera. Um, and that's fine and good. But I think that they kind of finally found joy at the end of the season, really with a system that focused on inverting Trent and kind of pushing their eights high up, I think Harvey Elliott played well. The player I'm really scared about having a breakout campaign next season, by the way, is Curtis Jones. Um, he was really quality for them at the end of last season. And I think he's kind of started to learn to pick up the areas and different positions that made Jeannie Wijnaldum so special for them um he's very very good as their left eight and i think bringing in alexis mcallister to kind of balance him out a player of extreme technical quality great set pieces uh you know has an eye for a goal but is really good in kind of those same half spaces i think is going to be dangerous um above all Saboslai scares me because mohammed salah is still an amazing player still has moments of quality um Is isolating himself more in games, which I think is interesting because I don't think he has the kind of top-end acceleration to really beat players one-on-one anymore. Um, I think he is falling off slightly. But the fact that they now have a healthy Diogo Jota, um, a healthy Luis Diaz, and Darwin Nunez entering what I think is going to be an amazing season for him. The thought of a player like Dominic Chaboslay providing service to Darwin Nunez is really, really, really scary. yeah, I just I don't. The real reason that I think this Liverpool squad has room to grow is in their defense, because their rest defense is really really poor for a team of their ability. Um, did, have we ever explained what rest defense is? To, no. But, like, uh, yeah, you can thirty second overview. I say thirty second, five second overview. It is essentially how many players are between the ball and the goal during a turnover so when a team seeds possession what is their structure as the other team begins to kind of attack them um and here's their biggest problem is that trent in the midfield is an amazing development and you know that means they have to essentially have a back three like we do how we will switch possession to let Zinchenko invert we will then have a back kind of sort of three of gabriel saliba white um the issue is that they can't really do that well. Like is amazing on the right side. He was really good for them at the end of last season. And I think a healthy Joe Gomez can be the same. Um, Van Dyke is slowing down. He's still very good in possession, but out of possession, he's making more errors. He's not tracking runners as well. Uh, Joel Matip was quite good for them last season. But again, issues. Their main issue is that Robertson and Samikas are both attacking, overlapping wingbacks. Neither are good at sitting deep, existing in rest defense, um, being behind the ball, essentially, they're both very forward-minded. And it means that they don't have adequate cover. They dropped Fabinho back a lot, and that helped, but he's also kind of getting on in years. He's entering a stage in his career where he's better anchoring the midfield than he is at dropping into a back three. Um, And they just don't have the personnel to continue to maintain their midfield system with the current defenders they have. So I think in terms of the tactics they were trying to implement at the end of last season, they're going to be great going forward and really might struggle if Allison doesn't like overperform XG by nine like he did last season. For record, he prevented over nine goals that should have been scored according to expected goals models, which is, you know, it's an unbelievable goalkeeping performance and he's an unbelievable player. But if he doesn't do that again, I think they'll really struggle.
1: It's weird because I, I think just to piggyback of uh, piggyback off of what Mac said, it sort of reminds me of like the Liverpool of old when Klopp first came in and was like, "Screw defense, son. We're just gonna outscore literally everyone we play against." And it sort of seems like they're transitioning back into that, but I think that eventually will get kind of nullified. And I think Liverpool are gonna want to look to sign some some much better defenders. Mac, though, you did say, you know. Uh, about uh, Allison's record last season, I I, I think it's worth uh, worth noting that um, they have one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the absolute best goalkeeper in the world. Um, so this Liverpool team kind of kind of scares me. Going, are are you trying to say something, or are you muted?
0: No, I'm fooling around with my mic, and I'm not sure it's working well. Oh, okay, so I'm, okay. Like, I'm just testing in the background. Okay, all oh, good,
1: all good. Um, no, what basically what I was going to say was just. Um, I I think Liverpool are going to kind of scare me going into next season because I think that attack is just going to be a really big problem. Darwin Nunez, terrifying. I think he is just a physical specimen, athletically absolutely phenomenal, and had a tricky first season in the Premier League, but I think now he's sort of starting to find his footing. I think we're going to see the best out of him next season. And then, for me, that midfield... Saboshlai and and McAllister, I feel like they really... I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think they complement each other exquisitely because Subhashlai loves that long ball. He loves smacking it into the back of the net from range, whereas McAllister, maybe a little cuter on the ball, a little smaller, daintier, can dribble through people, and then just a creative player as well. So I think they have a really exciting attack going into next season, but Alfie... It's the defense. The defense is looking a little worrisome. So it's. I think for me now, what Liverpool have to look to do in this transfer window is just look to sign defenders. It's really that simple. Whereas I think you look at United's issues, you look at Chelsea, Tottenham's issues, they have really complex, difficult squads to work the problems out of. I think with Liverpool, it's much easier. And because of that, I'm pretty fucking scared of them going into this next season.
2: I'd agree with that. I think they've sort of, their their squad was excellent, and they've sort of uh made it younger in the midfield in those eight positions, um, and up front, but still really good. And I think going forward, there's going to be no problems. And I think it is just a few pieces that may prevent them from sort of because I think they'll be sort of third or fourth, and then. What is preventing that? There's a few things that are preventing them from sort of challenging for the title. But if they fix them, there's no reason why they couldn't go again and, and fight for the title. I think a lot of it is, as we said, uh, as you said, uh, defensively, there's not a lot of depth uh, beyond sort of Canate, Trent, Van Dijk. They, it's basically Gomez, uh, Matip's very old now. I don't think he's at the level anymore. Um, but I think the main issue is how this sort of restructuring works out in a sort of larger sample size. We saw it work at the end of last season, but is it sustainable to have Trent inverting and Robertson also as a sort of marauding left back? Or do you need to sort of, does Klopp need to sort of think in the sort of new Arteta-Pep school of thought and have three centre-backs basically behind your inverted midfielder and your number six um, because if they do that, then I could see them being, you know, significantly more solid defensively. But they don't have, you know, could they do Canate, Van Dijk, Matip behind Trent and Fabinho? Or then do they then lose something in their left side with Robertson going forward? Um, on Nunes, I think it's, I, th- I think on paper he doesn't start in that front three. I think it's Salah, Gakpo, Diaz at the moment. But I agree, I think. The raw attributes are there. Technically, he's still a little bit off it. He needs to be tamed a little bit, but you don't want to tame him too much because those sort of raw, fierce attributes are what make him so exciting. And I think he will kick on this season. Um, I think Gakpo is a really smart signing in terms of playing as a sort of false nine, or you know, he's sort of he's in a way a Firmino regen in that the way he likes to drop off and pick the ball up and turn. Um, he's not quite as sort of, I don't. I wouldn't say he's quite technically at uh, Firmino's peak technical level, but um, he has similar sort of tendencies and dropping off. And you know, with with do Dun- with Nunez or Diaz and Salah making those diagonal runs and Gakpo turning, I think there's there's um, there's something there. And I think Sabozla and McAllister, are great signings. I think Jones was excellent towards the end of last season. Maybe in certain games they could try Jones as the six because he sort of did that in the under 21 euros. I know it's a big step up, but you know, in, in sorry, in smaller games, I think, I mean, you know, when they're playing Luton Town at home, do they need Fabinho? Could they have Jones as the press resistant six dictating things alongside Trent inverting? Um, maybe that's a potential scenario. I don't know what's going to happen with Tiago. Um, Who's obviously brilliant, but he's had injury issues and he's quite old now. They like Pachetic a lot. I don't know about him. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Liverpool. I think the the ceiling is high, um, and the floor is quite high as well. I think for me, their range of out. I can't see them finishing outside the top four next season, particularly with no Europe, with no Champions League. They can rotate a lot more. They can develop some of those younger players like Elliot and and uh, Curtis Jones and even Nunes in the in the Europa League group stage and that will help them and I I think my range of outcomes if everything went terribly again maybe they could finish fifth but I think they're pretty likely to be fourth to second at a massive push um what do you guys think
1: totally agree I was gonna say second to fourth
0: I also think second to fourth is my audio all right by the way I should just ask am I clear yeah, cool. Because it's been sounding really funky on my little tests mid-call. So I was just like hoping we're all right. Um for all the listeners, I'm holding my mic, it's not on the stand, and my little like audio cord is a little funky, so I've been like worried about it. Anyway. Um I also think they're scouting Romeo Lavia right now and have like started concrete talks according to Sky to sign the player. Um that I think could be scary in a few years' time. I will say one more note on Liverpool before I give that prediction. The only thing I will say is that they are an unbelievably direct team. Um, They do not have the midfield profiles to control the ball like they did with kind of that Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum midfield, where it was just kind of all about recycling and distributing to their creators. They just have a lot of creators. And I think if they don't kind of sign an adequate number six and a left center back, that's why I see their floor as fifth, only because their current squad doesn't profile as maybe cohesive against teams that are good against direct styles of play. Um, I'm not sure their possession retention is going to be amazing. And I also think if Trent gets injured and kind of can't invert, or if, you know, one of McAllister or Shaboshla goes down, I think their creative numbers drop pretty significantly. Um, as a team in Arsenal right now that's recruiting for depth, I think that's the one thing they kind of lack across the board, although their high end is really scary. So I will say second to fifth, But realistically, third to fifth, I think the top two are pretty locked on. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, And one sort of common theme I'm looking at these
2: squads that teams are trying to seem to do is they want these attacking eights more and more and a more sort of deep lying six. This 4-3-3 is becoming like that sort of midfield three, which Pep was playing ages ago with Fernandinho, De Bruyne and Silva um, is becoming more common. And, And these, I saw like uh, one of the data guys point out that a lot of these teams are trying to get more shots from their midfield, more goal threat. Um, and maybe they're trying to adopt this model of sharing goals around more. And, you know, the likes of Subozlai, McAllister, Mount, Havertz, they all sort of fit that mould. Um, and let's move on to the last team, which I think there's very little we can say about, um, which is Sheet 7, obviously Man City. It's going to be very difficult to catch them. Um we expect them as the machine they are to just go again. However, maybe, maybe they struggle to go again after winning the the, the, tr- the treble, sort of mentally and maybe physically. Maybe they lack that fire in them. Um It's largely the same squad. Obviously, they've they've replaced uh, Gundogan with Kovacic, which I think is a slight downgrade. Although Kovacic will probably look brilliant under Pep. Um, he's a good player. Uh, and then there's some question marks around some other players. Bernardo Silva's been linked with moves away. Riyad Mahrez, both getting on as well. Kyle Walker could leave, but I basically expect more from the more of the same. I think Harlem will get better, but there are yeah there are some question marks about some of their older players, and maybe they start to fall off after they've achieved everything in football. Um, yeah, any thoughts on potentially a Man City? I mean, they'll probably find solutions even if some of these things do happen um, and then go on an insane run near the end of the season. But, yeah, any
0: thoughts on that? A couple of random ones. Um, first thought, I think they're aiming to have Ortega eventually becomes, become Ederson's replacement. Um, I think they're really trying to kind of push his development and distribution. I think they've realized that Ederson's shot-stopping and decision-making isn't always where they need it to be. Um, and if they can kind of get Ortega at a similar level of ball playing, he's a much better shot stopper. He's also young. I think that the one interesting one is what they do with their fullbacks. Kyle Walker is getting old. Pep seems to prefer Rico Lewis in the midfield and, you know, Ake and Akanji are both great at left back, but it's essentially a left back that is a center back. They've been playing four center backs all season. But I in think that's kind just, of I think configurations
2: Pep's sort of decided he's given up yeah. with sort of um, your typical fullbacks and he just wants which, which to I put think in is on the center back and then just play I think it's interesting. Time.
0: Yeah, but I think you know as everything with Pep, he will always be coming up with new formations and problems and ideas. But I also think that there's a chance people start to kind of figure out how to play against their inverted style, which is why he keeps changing stuff up. But like. I think there might be an interesting squad building issue if, you know, in six months' time they need fullbacks and don't have any. Um, that said, they're stacked across the board in terms of players and personnel. Um, my weird city take is that they honestly might play like a pretty traditional-looking 4-4-2 at sometimes this season. I think either with De Bruyne kind of floating or with Alvarez and Holland up top together, both of those scare the shit out of me. Um, the only kind of different factors that Bernardo Silva has been very heavily linked with a 70 million move to Saudi Arabia I think it's al Ittihad or al hilal I forget which I could be really wrong there was just a link I saw this morning but like they've got the personnel to cover that area um, I mean shit man they're the best team in the world and they've got a squad that's the best team in the world and arguably the best manager in the world so there's not really much to discuss I do think though that the one position of question is if De Bruyne remains injured, what are they going to do at the right eight? Because they really don't have a player who fills his role. He kind of needs to be playing in order for them to succeed. Typically, the player they would slot into that spot was Gundogan when he was out last season, and they don't have that anymore. I don't think Kovačić fills his ability role. So that I'll is put, like the one f- thing. But I'll put
2: Foden as the second player in that position because I he's do- not good at right eight. He really, he's, he's not, not good. He there.
0: could be. He really isn't. He could be. He could be like, yeah. But the one thing about Foden is that he's been shoehorned into so many different roles that he's quite good wherever he plays. But I don't think he has the ability to replicate what De Bruyne brings to that team. And I think, yeah, but could anyone really? Yeah, like, no, but I don't think he plays in the same style. And I think that's, that's a mismatch. That is an area that is the only area of weakness in their squad is that they don't have a good advanced creator in the right half space. Like, yes, Bernardo Silva is actually quite good there, but you know, again, if he leaves, that's what, that's what they have. Well, the drop yeah.
1: off is always going to be massive between the best midfielder in the world and, and the next guy, you know? So I think it's, yeah,
2: you're right. Yeah, And I think the best we can hope for as Arsenal fans is the most likely challenges is some of those players starts to decline some of the older ones, the likes of De Bruyne, um Bernardo Silver if he stays, Mares, um and Kyle Walker. They get some Kyle Walker if he stays and they get some big injuries. Um and maybe horrible, I I was going to ask horrible you, thing horrible thing to about, say
1: but true.
0: Yeah, don't yeah. we don't pray for injuries on this podcast, but like well, it sucks that it's our only hope. <laughs>
1: um
0: or there's a bit of a
2: psychological drop-off because they've sort of achieved everything. Um, do you think that's possible, Danny?
1: I've been hearing this a lot. Extremely reputable content creators and journalists. Arsenal Vision podcast, the Arscast, of course, Alfie Colshaw, have been talking about this. Fuck no, dude. They've got the most freaking... They've got the best manager to ever coach in the sport, man. Absolutely not. I don't think there'll be any sort of depreciation and mentality. I This this team's mentality is absolutely incredible. And as a squad goes, call me crazy, best squad, best roster I've ever seen in my life. I think they're absolutely phenomenal from back to front. And then we also forgot to mention, unless you guys did and I was zoning out looking at my my garage drywall, I'm not sure. They're also about to bring in one of the best young central defenders there are. You know? You didn't even and mention I, that.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, if, if, they score, if they sign Guardiola, it's over. It's, I, mean, I uh, over if they sign I was,
1: Guardiola. I, I, I love Saliba, and I think he probably is the best young defender in the world, but this guy's right next to him. And I was watching a comp of him the other day, and he's literally just good at every single part of the game. He's such a Pep Guardiola player. And, yeah, I, I think I'm almost inclined with City. It's just you feel apathy. Talking about them because it feels so difficult to compete against them. It almost feels like, you know, how we've been saying, oh, for Liverpool, it's between second and fifth, whatever. With City, I feel like it largely feels like between first and first, (laughs) you know, like it, it almost feels inevitable them winning the trophy. I don't think the mentality will drop off at all. I think you're right, though, Alfie. The way that we'd have to pip them to the title is one make sure all of our new guys mesh in well and make sure that we play at the level that we did last season so we don't have a drop-off because there could be some burnout. Let's let's face it, there could be. Um, and yeah, just hope for those. It's a horrible thing to say, but hope for a fall-off from Holland. Hope for a fall-off from De Bruyne, you know? And yeah, I, I think this, this squad is like so nearly perfect. Kind of funny, we were talking about like Allison earlier, um, as, as being, I, th- I think Allison's the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, funnily enough, I think Allison in that team would probably make that team perfect. Uh, I think Ederson ha- leaves some to be desired in the saving department, but I'm grasping at straws here, man. I mean, Ederson is still a world-class goalkeeper. So no, I don't think there's absolutely any chance of them falling off mentality wise. I think the only chance they'd have of falling off at all is injuries Dudes aging that maybe we didn't expect them to. Um, because I think you got to look at De Bruyne's age. He is knocking on a little bit. I mean, but he's one of the best players in the world. So I don't know, man. Again, much like Liverpool, they scare me going into the next season.
2: Completely agree. Let's wrap it up because we've been going for almost two hours about non Arsenal stuff. But I've thoroughly enjoyed this deep dive. I hope you did into it's been some a blast. of our ops. Yeah. Yeah um and I'll hand
0: it over to Mac to do the outro well shoot as this is the extra canon podcast um we are not going to be looking for marketing opportunities instead we're looking for spotlights so on kind of on brand this can be anything from the, your your life your world soccer football non soccer football uh, whatever floats your boat, and in order of appearance and intro, as always, I will come to Mr. Daniel Fenton first. Um, my tall ginger friend, shine me a spotlight.
1: Oh, um, yeah. I got two because I'm selfish, but I'm not Fire really away. selfish because I'm helping people here. Um, Harvey, actually, who was just uh, helping out Mac on the podcast, just had uh, his first article. I think you guys may have plugged in the last pod. You did. You did. We did. Um, but I'm going to plug it again because I thought it was sensational. As a dude that didn't know much about Timber, I've really only seen him playing at the international level and, and like Champions League. Um, super informative piece. And it'll get you really exciting, uh, excited for the signing. So check that out. And then um, just another spotlight real quickly. I don't really usually talk about the women's team all that much. I'm trying to get a little more into them, but I just I don't have much time really. Like I barely have enough time to c- catch up with the men's team, to be honest. But I want to. And I want to especially because that new sexy kit that they have going into next season. What a Daniel Fenton shirt that is, man. I mean, holy Mississippi. I said that twice this this, this, uh, this episode. By the way, absolutely hate the state of Mississippi. Um, terrible, terrible state, terrible people. Go go to hell. Um, <laughs> they, they have a Confederate flag on their state flag. Fuck them. Um, but yeah, that's a great shirt. Uh, Harvey's a great writer. Check those two things out. I'm, I'm like, I think this season... I was like kind of stuck between that new green Arsenal shirt and the home kit, but now I think I I'm, now I think I'm looking at the women's one and the home kit instead. But I'm not sure, man. I, basically, I'm going to lose all my money.
2: The green kit is terrible. Well, I which green kit? Apparently,
0: there's going to be two of them. Um, oh, oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, the th- no, the third
0: one's beautiful. The third oh, one's lovely. Man, I'm, I'm talking about the, this
2: one. Yeah, I'm no, talking the about the forest lights. green one. Yeah.
0: The, like, weird kind of looks like the Inter Milan snake kit gone terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, Alpha Karen's Colshaw, Shout me a spotlight. Uh,
2: I'm going to be quite boring and just say we love our code at K, but also (laughs) my article on it, uh, just titled Squad Building. I kind of did what we've sort of been doing for some of the other teams, but just on Arsenal in this podcast. So, yeah, check that out. Um, But, yeah, I want to have some dinner. So hurry up, Mac.
0: Facts. A uh, quick spotlight for me is one of the most absurd deals I've ever seen. A uh, young Brazilian kid named Vitor Roque has just signed for Barcelona. Um, f- he's signing in January. It's a thirty million fee with nearly thirty billions in add-ons and an additional five million add-ons if he ever places within the top three of the Ballon d'Or. Um, that is spotlight one. Spotlight two. You may have noticed that we have just completed Arsenal Canon Podcast 174 before this Extra Canon Podcast. Um, just to plug that we do have a tradition of doing a drunk cast every 25 episodes and that it will be a big season wrap-up for both Arsenal's team and for our site in general. Um, we do this traditionally. So that will be one of the next podcasts, Gracing Your Ears. We might just plug along an Extra Cannon Podcast until we get there. Uh, I'm going to apologize for this being late, but we are four busy people with busy lives, and you know rarely have four hours to get drunk together in the evenings. However, it will be coming, no fear. And with that, we're going to ra- wrap this one up, bring this bad boy to a close, as Mister Daniel Finton would say. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming along this little journey with us through some non-arsenal content. Um, always happy to talk about it. I have been Mac Johnson. I've been joined by Daniel Filton, Daniel Finton and Alfie Colshaw. Please share this one with all of your cool uncles, anyone you absolutely want to. Leave a review, leave a like, whatever service you listen to. just you know, if you love the pod, let other people know. That's about all we've got. Goodbye. Bye.